All right, let's open in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Uh, thank you for this time to come to you, uh, to gather for fellowship, for worship, uh, for prayer, and to, to be trained in righteousness, to be trained in Christian living. We pray that we would learn from your word and that you would give us uh, clarity of thought and you would help us to understand. And uh, we pray that you'd bless the sermon. We thank you for your grace and amen. All right, so today we are doing part seven of our series called How to Lead Your Heart. Um, we've been doing this series on how to lead your heart, um, and for the purposes of this series, uh, we define the heart as the part of you that has beliefs, desires, intentions, and emotions. Um, as I've said many times before, this series is an attempt at having a comprehensive training course on how to lead your heart, and... Um, and the key verse for this series is Proverbs 4.23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Uh, as Christians, we're not supposed to follow our hearts like the culture does. We're supposed to lead our hearts. We're supposed to watch over them with all diligence. Uh, so in this series, I've got five habits that, um, that I think if a person has all five of these habits or if they develop all five of these habits, they'll become competent in leading their heart in leading their beliefs and their desires and their intentions and emotions. Um, so, you know, habit number one is having an attitude of responsibility and intentionality about leading your heart. Habit number two is uh, discerning and judging what's in your heart. Habit number three, which we looked at last week, is developing the habit of resisting bad desires and emotions, or unwise or unhelpful desires and emotions. And today we're starting habit four, um, regularly, intentionally, and strategically seeking to renew your mind. Uh, the scriptures talk about how renewing our, the renewal of our minds leads to transformation. We're going to look at that in more detail. So my, the whole point of today's sermon is just to get across one thing. Um, heart change happens when the underlying patterns of our thinking change. Heart change happens when the underlying patterns of our thinking change. And that goes both ways, too. Your, your thinking patterns changing for the worse will transform you in a negative way. Um, sometimes we develop sinful habits that we didn't have before due to changes in our thinking that aren't biblical changes. Uh, for better and for worse, how you think controls your heart. And that can lead to sanctification or that can lead to um, going backwards in sanctification. That can lead to new habits of sinfulness or worse habits of sinfulness. But the whole point of today's sermon is to just thoroughly explain and show the point that heart change happens when the underlying patterns of our thinking change. So let's look at a few verses. Let's look at Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul says that we'll be transformed by the renewal of our minds. You know, we're supposed to be transformed into Christ's image day by day, not into the, we shouldn't be conformed to the pattern of the world. Um, One thing I want to point out real quick, this will be relevant a bit later in this sermon, but the Greek word for mind here is nous. Uh, We can pull up the screenshot that I have on it. Uh, It can be used to refer to a person's intellectual thinking, but it can also refer uh, to more than that. Um, One of the ways it can be used is just referring to the mind as a whole, um, the faculties of perceiving, understanding, feeling, judging, and determining. So this word can be used to mean more than just your intellectual thoughts. Uh, That's important. We'll get back to that, but keep that in mind. I also want to look at John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So Jesus is talking about freedom from sin. Disciples of Christ will know the truth, and the truth will set them free, and that freedom is freedom from sin. He makes a connection between knowing the truth. It doesn't just say, the truth will set you free in some way where you don't know it, but somehow it does. He says, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He makes a connection between knowing the truth and being freed from sin. So there's at least a few ways in which knowing the truth leads to freedom from sin. But one that I want to consider today is the fact that all of our choices to sin are based on wrong thinking. They're based on false beliefs. They're based on thinking that is incorrect. All our wrong beliefs, desires, intentions, and emotions are based on wrong thinking. If, if a person chooses to sin, the only way to choose to sin is that we think that it's going to be worth it, like that's just necessary. No one chooses anything that they don't in some sense think will be worth it, and to think that sin is worth it is wrong. So just in a very obvious, real way in that sense, all of our sin is based on wrong thinking. It's based on thinking that doesn't accord with the truth. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth to us. So 
I want to explain um, something about how we have two types of thinking. So uh, bear with me as I try to explain this, uh, how I think that humans have two types of thinking. I had to think long and hard about how to word this idea. This is a concept that I haven't really read much before, uh, but it's something I've seen clearly in my own life and in the lives of others. And I think that if you examine your own life and your own thoughts and consider it, I think you'll see it in your own life. Um, this idea of having two types of thinking is going to be very uh, relevant when trying to understand how changing our thinking can change our hearts. And if you disagree with me about how I worded any of it, please talk to me about it after the service. But anyways, I think we have two types of thinking. The first one I've decided to term verbal thoughts. Uh, you might also call them intellectual thoughts. So, you know, two plus two equals four. That's a good example of a verbal thought. That's like just an intellectual thought. Um, you know, you can hear your verbal thoughts in your head because they're verbal. They're used with words. Humans can think abstractly, and we use words to do so. A lot of your thinking is just inner dialogue with yourself. That's verbal thoughts, intellectual thoughts. The second type of thinking that I would say humans have is something I'm going to call sentimental thoughts. Uh, a person could also call these feelings, intuitive thoughts, or maybe even subconscious thoughts. But I'm going to call them sentimental thoughts. So sentimental thoughts are thoughts that you can think without words, or you might not be thinking verbal words in your head, but they're still thoughts. You think them deep down, but you might not necessarily be articulating them. Your sentimental thoughts might align with your verbal thoughts, but they might not. They might contradict them. They might disagree with them. That's what's happening when you if a person intellectually thinks that God loves them, but deep down they feel like he doesn't really care. They have two different types of thinking that aren't in agreement. Their verbal thoughts and their sentimental thoughts. I tried to think of an example for this, and I decided to use this. Um, if you're watching a movie and you feel like something bad is going to happen, that's a good example of a sentimental thought. It's a feeling, but it's also a type of thought, even if it's not a verbal thought. And I would say sentimental thoughts are still based on reasoning. They still have reasoning attached to them. So if you're watching a movie and you feel like something bad is going to happen, that's not just a random feeling. That's based on things you've seen in the movie up until that point. And the music. Yeah, and the music. <laughs> but it's not just random. It's a type of thought. You know, there's things you've been observing, and part of you has been thinking about it, and you have a thought that something bad is going to happen based on what you've observed. And that thought might not be something you articulate in words in your inner dialogue, but it's a thought. Another example I thought to use is, um, if a stranger purposefully pushed me down the stairs, I'm going to feel like they have ill intent towards me. 
I'm going to think that they have ill intent towards me, but I'm not going to verbally think to myself and calculate, hmm, they pushed me down the stairs. Why would they do that? They have ill intent toward me. Like, that's, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to immediately think without even having to say it, they have ill intent towards me. So it's, it's a feeling, but it's still something I think. It's something I think internally. Could you, could you maybe call them intuitive thoughts? Sure. Perhaps? Yep. Um, I had to really think about what to call them, and I had... I spent a few hours on it, and it was a hard decision. Um, I mean, it's several things. I mean, it's probably a little more complex than that. It's like trying to translate Greek into English. <laughs> sure. But anyways, our sentimental thoughts might not always follow the same reasoning as our verbal thoughts, but they're still based on reasoning, and therefore they can be reasoned with. Um, I would also say that Human desires and emotions are based on your sentimental thoughts, not on your verbal thoughts. Your desires and your emotions are based on what you think deep down. So that being said, uh, let's look at how changing your thinking can change your heart. Uh, there's four reasons that I'm going to give for why changing your thinking can change your heart. And... Um, it's basically because everything that's in your heart is based on what you think. Let's start with the obvious one. Your beliefs are based on what you think. Because we're defining the heart for the purposes of this series as the part of you that has beliefs, intentions, desires, and emotions. So a belief is just a thought that you put enough weight on that you're willing to make choices as if that thought is true. A belief is just the thought that you put enough weight on that you're willing to make choices as if that thought is true. If I say um, that I believe we're going to have dinner after church, but then I go somewhere else to get dinner, then um, there's a good chance I don't really believe we're going to have dinner after church. All your beliefs are based on what you think. It basically goes without saying. It's impossible to believe something without thinking it. So let's go to the next one. Your desires are based on what you think. I came up with two examples for this one. Uh, number one, you know, I desire to work. I used to not desire to work. I used to be one of the laziest people I knew. Um, but now I have a lot of desire to work, praise be to God. But um, I desire to work because I think that there's profit in it. Even if it's work that I don't get paid for, I do it because I think there's something good's going to come of it. I don't do sermon prep because I think that there will be just no result and no one's going to listen to it. Like I spend eight hours on sermons because I think that they're going to make a difference. But anyways, I used to not have any desire to work, but in general I think that work will be profitable. I go to work in the morning because I think I'll get paid. If I stopped thinking I'd get paid, I'd stop wanting to go to work. Makes sense. If I didn't think that there was any profit in the work I'm doing, I wouldn't feel a desire to work. 
So that's an example of a good desire that's based on our thinking. Um, your sinful desires are so based on your thinking. If I have a sinful desire, like a desire to watch porn, it's because I think that the enjoyment that I'll get from it will be more than the pain of the consequences. If I have a sinful desire, it's because I think that the enjoyment or benefit I'll get from it will be more than the pain of the consequences. And a, a person might think to themselves, but I do think that it's worth it to obey God. The Bible says so. They might think that intellectually. They might think that in their verbal thoughts. But if, they, if you're feeling desires to disobey God, then you're not thinking that in your sentimental thoughts. If on a given day, uh, someone desired to watch porn, and, but an active shooter came into their room and started shooting they would no longer desire to sit there and watch porn. They would immediately feel desire to leave the room, even though leaving the room would mean they're no longer enjoying their sin. What's the reason for that change? It was a change in their thoughts. They may have before verbally thought, you know, it's worth it to obey God, but in another sense, they didn't think that. Otherwise, they would have desired to obey God. In some sense, they thought that it would be worth it to sin. They thought they would get more enjoyment or benefit out of it. But then, if an active shooter came into their room, they started to really think on a deep level in their sentimental thoughts that the consequences of that sin are now going to be worse than the enjoyment of it. I might get shot it became very clear to them. Their thinking changed, and therefore their desire changes. All your desires are based on what you think. Even if your desires don't agree with what you think verbally, they're still based on what you think, what you think on a deeper level. Let's look at the next one. The next one is still pretty obvious. Your intentions are based on what you think. Um, you know, if you intend to buy a house, that's based on you think it's going to be worth it to buy a house. That's a good thing. That's not unreasonable to think. But, you know, no one has intentions to do anything that they don't think is worth doing. If you have intent to do something sinful, at the end of the day, it's because at least in some way you think it will be worth it. Your beliefs are based on what you think, your desires are based on what you think, and your intentions are based on what you think. Even if they're not based on your verbal thoughts, they're still based on what you think. No one ever has a desire that isn't based on what they think. The last one, um, the fourth reason for why changing your thinking can change your heart, why it has the ability to, uh, your emotions are based on what you think. So I'll give a few examples for this. I'll start with a personal example. Uh, so I've had a lot of struggles with rejection issues. I've had a lot of struggles with feeling like God didn't really care about me. And by God's grace, they've gotten better. 
Uh, and that's taught me a little bit about how your thinking affects your heart. So I would think to myself in my verbal thoughts, God loves me. You know, the Bible says so. I agree with it. I intellectually thought God loves me, but I didn't really feel like he cared about me. One day I kind of realized that those feelings were still attached to thoughts, even though they clearly weren't attached to my verbal thoughts. I realized that in my sentimental thoughts, I thought, yeah, the Bible says God loves me, but sometimes the Bible uses a word and it doesn't mean it the way I would mean it. So I'm sure whatever it means is true, but God is probably mad at me all the time and he probably cares more about my performance than he does about me as a person. But I, you can't feel something without in some sense thinking it. I thought that. I had a real genuine thought in my heart, even though I couldn't express it verbally at the time because I hadn't worked through it, that you know, in some sense, God loves me, but on a practical level, he's mad at me all the time and he cares more about my performance than about my well-being. I thought that. It's very important to, to realize that. That was a thought. That was my thinking, even if I didn't articulate it at the time. I had never articulated it before at the time. I didn't even quite realize that that's what I felt until I started to kind of think about it more and wrestle with it a bit more. But once I did realize that that's what I felt and that's what I actually thought deep down, that's what I thought in my sentimental thoughts, so to speak, I was able to engage with it at that point. And after I was able to engage with it, I was able to search the scriptures to find weapons to fight against it. I was able to find verses that helped me to see and to realize that God cares more about me as a person than he does about my performance. And after that thinking in my sentimental thoughts changed, I started to feel more like God cared about me. But again, the, the biggest thing I want to show with this is all your emotions are based on thoughts. Even if they, your emotions contradict or don't agree with your verbal thoughts or your intellectual thoughts, all your emotions are based on your thoughts, all of them. And that's why changing our thinking has the ability to change our hearts. I'll give an example of fear. Um, I use this example a lot to show how your emotions are attached to your thinking because I read it in a book once and it stuck with me. But, um, you know, if a, if a bear walked into the room, we would all feel afraid, right? Um, but that's because we think we're in danger. I see a bear, I think it's a bear, I think something, and then I feel afraid. But if a bear came in the room and I thought for some reason that it was a person dressed as a bear... I wouldn't feel afraid. I'd be like, oh, that's this Logan. He's, <laughs> he's just playing a joke. And I wouldn't feel afraid. Because your fears are all based on thoughts. You can't have a fear that isn't based on your thinking, even if it's not your verbal thinking. The same goes for anger. 
You know, we've talked about anger before earlier in the series. We've talked about how anger is an emotional response to perceived injustice that you desire to see changed or fixed or made right. But that means it's based on what you think. It's based on perceived injustice. It's based on your perception. It's based on what you think. If you get angrier than you should about various things, then there's an underlying thinking pattern that's causing that. If you get angrier than you should about things, there's an underlying thinking pattern that's causing that. It could be that in your sentimental thoughts, you think that the wrongs people do against you are worse than they actually are. That would cause a person to get angrier than they should. It could be uh, a person might get angrier when they should when people say normal things to them because deep down they feel like people are disrespecting them. That would cause a person to get angry over regular everyday things that are just a part of life. It could be a number of things, um, but again, if, if a person has issues with getting angrier than they should, it has to do with their underlying thinking. So everything in your heart is based on what you think. Your beliefs are based on what you think. Your emotions are based on what you think. Your intentions are based on what you think. And your desires are based on what you think. You can't even have a belief or a desire or an intention or emotion without thought. It's impossible. So let's talk about, um, you know, the practical implications of this. The practical implications is, by God's grace, we have a means to pursue heart change. Let's look at Romans 12, 2 again. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So hopefully that kind of adds some weight and gives some clarity, some meaning behind that verse, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The renewal of your mind really will transform a person. Our minds need to be, in order to be transformed, we need the scriptures and we need the Holy Spirit, but a person will be transformed by the renewal of their mind. By God's grace, we can overcome our sinful desires. Um, changing our thinking, we, we need to change our thinking so that we start to see the consequences of our sin as outweighing any benefit or enjoyment that we get out of it. If our thinking really changed on that to a core level, in the core of our being, if we really started to think that any enjoyment or benefit we get from sin is not as significant as the consequences of it, we would genuinely actually stop desiring sin. We have to realize that that's how it works, that's how our hearts work. 
if we genuinely on a core level stopped thinking that the benefits and enjoyments of sin are greater than its consequences, we would really literally stop desiring it. And by consequences, I, I don't only mean like personal consequences, because it's not all about us. But, you know, some of the consequences of sin are also that our sin grieves God and our sin harms others. But if we started to see our consequences in general, the whole of it is worse and more significant than the enjoyment and benefits that we get from sin, we would stop desiring sin. And we can overcome our sinful desires by God's grace. By changing our thinking, by our minds being renewed in the Holy Spirit, we can also overcome our frequent fears and anxieties. Fear and anxiety happen because we think something bad is going to happen, or might happen, right? But if our thinking changed such that we took into account how God is sovereign and how he loves us, and we saw and thought about every fear that we have in light of that, we would have fewer fears and anxieties. If we really took into account God's love in all of our thoughts, we would have far fewer fears and anxieties. You know, John said in 1 John, perfect fear and perfect love casts out all fear. Amen. All of your fears are based on your thinking. And some of the fears and anxieties we have are unreasonable. And if we could change our sentimental thoughts, or if we did, about those fears, we'd start to, and we started to see and think that, you know, if they happened, it, it's either quite unlikely that they'd happen or it wouldn't really be that bad. Those fears, those feelings would go away. And we wouldn't be afraid of them anymore. We can be free from fear and anxiety. God gives us the grace for that. God gives us the means for that. By God's grace, we can also overcome, you know, struggles with rejection, feeling like no one cares. Struggles with rejection and feeling like um, no one cares or that God doesn't care are very common today. And they're something we as Christians need to overcome. Feeling like no one cares about you has to do with thinking that others don't really care about you. It has to do with your thoughts. You might not think it in your verbal thoughts, but if you changed what you think in your sentimental thoughts, those feelings would go away. And that applies to, like I mentioned earlier, um, feeling like God doesn't really care about you. Next week we'll talk more about how to change your thoughts and your thinking on a practical level, but this week, my only goal was to prove how helpful and how necessary it is to change our thinking. That's the whole point of this sermon, is that we would realize how helpful and how necessary it is to change our thinking. And then next week and probably the week after, we'll talk about how to change our thinking. Did you have a question, Kyle?
things they dealt with, uh, with um, like spiritual struggles with their thoughts as well, like having perhaps demonic influences mm -hmm. in their thoughts, um, and maybe expand on how um, these things that we're talking about uh, can help with that, as well as um, like... We'll talk about that in Habit 5. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about um, after trying to thoroughly explain how changing your thinking is the key to changing, you know, fears, emotions, sinful desires, um, I want to talk about how the Holy Spirit is involved in all of this, at least a little bit. Because, you know, it might come across, it might sound like I'm saying or suggesting that non-believers could overcome their sin through just better education. I'm not at all saying that. It takes the Holy Spirit to overcome sinfulness. It takes the Holy Spirit to overcome our wrong thinking, our wrong patterns of thinking. Changing your thinking will change your heart, but good luck doing it without the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's not going to work. Not much anyways. You know, due to common grace, you know, we can have some amount of victory in changing our thoughts. Even uh, non-Christians can have some amount of victory in changing their thoughts, but... It'll never be enough to submit their lives to God. Mm -hmm. Let's look at a few verses that show that our, our sinfulness does clearly have to do with our thinking, but you know we need the Holy Spirit for it. Let's look at Genesis 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. So again, the idea that changing your thinking is the key to changing your heart, that fits full and well with the fact that we are sinful and can't change without the Holy Spirit. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Let's also look at Romans 1, 18 through 28. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse." For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. 
For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations with those contrary to nature, and their men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And they did not see fit to acknowledge God, and God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So again, the fact that we need the Holy Spirit to overcome our sinfulness fits full and well with the truth and reality that all of our sinfulness is based on our thinking. It fits full and well with that. Again, we can't change our wrong thinking without the Holy Spirit. Our sinful habits do indeed come from wrong thinking, but a person can't overcome it without the Holy Spirit. You can't overcome having a depraved mind without the help of the Holy Spirit. You can't overcome the thoughts that your sin nature will lead you to have without the Holy Spirit. You can't overcome a thinking that you deserve to be Lord of your life without the help of the Holy Spirit. Non-Christians might be able to, you know, overcome thinking that's wrong in a number of areas and become very successful based on developing good habits of discipline. But, you know, without the help of the Holy Spirit, you're never going to get past the thought that you deserve to be Lord of your life. You know, like I said, some people might be able to overcome aspects of their wrong thinking by God's common grace, but it's never going to get to the point where they can submit their lives to God unless the Holy Spirit is in it. So in conclusion, um, all your beliefs, all your desires, all your intentions, all your emotions, they're all determined by your thinking. Um... The second conclusion, the Bible teaches that we are to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. God gives us means of grace, his word, his spirit, and his church, but the primary way in which those means of grace kind of help us be sanctified is through the renewal of our minds. We are going to be transformed, we are sanctified on earth by the renewal of our minds, by our thinking changing. Uh, And the last point of my conclusion, in order to lead our hearts, we need to develop the habit of regularly, intentionally, and strategically seeking to renew our our minds, which we'll, we'll talk about a bit more on practical details next week. So let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time to learn from your word, uh, to see how it really applies to life. Uh, We pray that you would help us to really have the idea deep in our minds and our hearts that all of what's in our heart is based on what we think. We pray that we would really see how you would like to transform us by the renewal of our minds, Lord. We, We pray that we would really cooperate with your Holy Spirit Uh, by searching the scriptures for truth and allowing that truth to renew our minds and allowing the truth to set us free. We pray that we would really seek you for that and we would seek you for that intentionally and regularly and strategically. We pray that you would bless us and that we, we would really grow in sanctification. And we thank you for your grace and amen.